Well, good morning. Good to be back with you guys again. I was here about a year ago, and I had such a blast that I couldn't wait to come back. So, uh, my name is Michael, and uh, I am a pastoral resident. There's five of us at Redeemer uh, Presbyterian Church in New York City. I was a pastor for uh, several years in uh, California in different contexts, uh, but moved five years ago. And um, that move was funny because uh, anytime I came to New York, uh, I'd get mixed reactions when I said I came from Southern California. Uh, generally, there's a look of dismay, like, why would you ever, ever, in your right mind, leave Southern California? Um, but ironically, when I talked to people back in California, they were always like, oh, we're so jealous you're in New York. That seems so cool. Um, and my conclusion is that I think we're pretty much destined to be discontent this side of heaven. You know, it's just the way it goes. But one interesting thing I found was uh, we came in the summer, and so... Uh, you know, like anytime you're new to a place, you're excited about it. And I had lived in New York in the 90s, and so uh, I was trying to, you know, pass that excitement on to my family. I have two, two sons, 16 and 11, and my wife. And uh, it was great. Summer was awesome. And then the fall happened in California. You don't get fall. So the leaves are beautiful. But then that, that Snowmageddon thing happened five years ago. And at first, we're all excited because it was snow and the snowball fights and things that we didn't really experience that much. And then I remember like in April, when it was still, still snowing, um, my sons were like, Daddy, we don't like the snow anymore. Make it stop. And it was a season that had changed, and I'd seen two already. And um, this text that I'm about to read to you, it's interesting because you see seasons change fast. And one thing about life, because uh, you see it in nature, is things will often go from great, like the summer, to bad, like snowmageddon, and often instantaneously. So... We want to look at in the scriptures today, what do you do when the seasons change in your life? Often abruptly, often quickly. Uh, what do we do to get through those kind of seasons? So I called the sermon, you know, good reasons for hard seasons. And we kind of want to look at uh, good seasons, uh, hard seasons, and perfect reasons that, it, uh, that God allows both to happen in our lives. So why don't we uh, read with me, please, if you've got your Bibles with you. Um, Mark chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 9 through 14. It says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my blessed, beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days. And being tempted by Satan... And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The word of the Lord. So Let's pray and see what God has for us in this today. So God, thank you for your word. Um, it is a light unto our, our path, God. It is a lamp unto our feet. Um, your word says that... Uh, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. And so as we hear your word today, would you restore our souls? Would you encourage us, God? Would you direct us? Would you correct us? Would you do whatever you want to do in our hearts today? We invite you here uh, to fill this place, God, to move and to speak to us. And we ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen. So context real quick. Uh, you've got a guy named John the Baptist who's preaching in the wilderness. Um, he's kind of like the original hipster. You know, he's got uh, this big beard. He's he wears a leather belt. 
He totally eats farm to table because locusts and wild honey definitely, I think, is included in that. Um, but he's a revolutionary and he's calling people to repentance. And, and hundreds, maybe even thousands are coming out to him. And he's got this message of repentance and baptism. And back then, as a, a good Jew would get baptized, you'd, you'd be baptized in a sense every single day. You would wash yourself in the water, ceremonially, symbolically washing away your sins. And that's his ministry, preparing the way for Jesus. So he's preparing this attitude of repentance in the people so that when Jesus comes, he can lead them to true and complete repentance once for all. So he's this harbinger of Jesus. And then Jesus shows up, and the first thing John the Baptist says, it's in a different gospel, he says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus comes and wants to get baptized. Now, there's a bit of a conundrum there, because Jesus is just called perfect. You only get baptized when you're sinful. So why is Jesus getting baptized? And this is good news. Remember I said this is a good season. It's a good season because Jesus is showing up to identify with mankind. Now, you can do like a hundred studies on baptism. That's not what I'm here to do. But I want you to know that one aspect of baptism is it shows this, this symbolic death of yourself where you're under the water and your sins are washed away and you're coming out of the water and you're born again. And what Jesus is doing, he's giving you the, the sneak peek of what he's here to do on earth. He's here to go and die and identify with your sin. Because remember, symbolically, all the sins of the people of Israel are in that water. And he's saying, I'm here to come under that water and identify with your sin and come out of the water victoriously because I'm going to rise from the dead. So it's almost like this preview of the resurrection. This is what Sinclair Ferguson says about this moment. He says, as we see Jesus in the water, he already indicates how he will become our Savior by standing in the water by which penitent Jews had symbolically washed away their sins and by allowing that water polluted by their sins to be poured over his perfect being. So this is good news. This is a good season because Jesus is identifying with mankind. He's making it clear what he's here to do. Now, I grew up Baptist and Buddhist. My mom's from Thailand. My dad's a white guy from Florida. So I grew up Southern Baptist, and I just had to go to church. They just agreed. We don't want to confuse our kids, so we want to just have them go to church, and they'll study Christianity. And so I grew up with this understanding of God. But when I got to college, I was curious about other things. So I'd ask my mom a lot about Buddhism. Um, and one thing that stood out to me about Christianity, in everything I looked at, was religion was always, no matter what the religion, religion was always man's attempt to get to God by doing stuff. The stuff could be, like if you go to Union Square in New York, there's a lot of Hare Krishnas out of there. You know, if you're a good Hare Krishna, you've got to eat a vegetarian diet, you live a fairly ascetic life, but you've got to chant 125 times, Hare, 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 Hare Krishna. That's why they're always singing, because you have to. It's part of that religious religiosity. I'm a good Buddhist. You know, you follow the... Uh, four pillars of, of, of the Eightfold Path to Enlightenment. A good Islamic person, a good Muslim, follows the four pillars of Islam. A good Mormon. I met Mormons. I would talk to them all the time. I'm like, so what's the deal with the bikes? You know, why do you guys have to ride bikes everywhere? And they're like, well, we're only allowed to drive a certain amount of mileage. And if you pass that mileage, we have to ride bikes to cut down on the mileage. I'm like, oh, so you're like eco-friendly, right? And, and he didn't really have an answer for me. But they had to do stuff to please their concept of who God was. But what stood out to me about Christianity when I looked at everything else was instead of me trying to get to God through doing stuff, 
God came to me in the form of Jesus. And I saw nothing else like it. And to me, this passage, this, this section right here, it personifies that. Jesus shows up and says, hey, I am here to identify with man. In your sin, at your worst, in your rebellion to me, I don't care. I'm still here because I love you and I'm here to rescue you. And I saw nothing like that in any of the religions I looked at. And so this is a good season because Jesus shows up declaring what he's going to do. And he's like, I'm here to identify with man. Let's read on. So he's baptized immediately when he comes out of the water. John sees the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice comes from heaven saying, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. I'm going to get to this towards the end of the sermon. But this is a prophecy that's fulfilled. About 700 years ago, Isaiah had this prophecy where he talked about the heavens being rended and God coming down. And here we see this being, this, this very thing is being fulfilled. And then you get this voice from heaven saying, you are my beloved son, with you I'm well pleased. And what's interesting is this is before Jesus has done anything significant. He hasn't healed one person, he hasn't walked in water, he hasn't calmed a storm, he hasn't cast out a demon. He's done nothing significant and yet God the Father is crazy about him, loves him. And it's the second beautiful thing I noticed about Christianity was this idea of grace and mercy that I saw nowhere else. Where God loves you despite you, not because of your performance. Grace, you probably heard the quick definition, it's getting something you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting something that you do deserve. So I rolled in late last night at like 12.45. I passed a lot of police officers. So say I was speeding. Maybe I was, maybe I wasn't. I'm not going to tell you. But say I was, hypothetically, and I got pulled over. Mercy would be if the police officer said, hey, you know, you're totally speeding. But, you know, you seem like a nice guy. I'm going to let you off the hook. That's mercy. I broke the law, and I deserve to be punished. But he let me off the hook. That's mercy. Grace would be, and he's like, you know what? You seem like a great guy. I'm going to give you my paycheck this week. So here it is. How, you know, that, that's not normal. That's getting something I didn't deserve. So I got off the hook. All right, that's mercy. And he gave me his paycheck. That's grace. Christianity encapsulates both. Because not only does Jesus come to rescue you from your sin, the Bible says he gives you his perfection so that you are hidden in Christ. So getting to heaven isn't about being good, it's about being perfect, which is not possible. So Jesus saw that, so he lived a perfect life that you couldn't live. That revolutionized my concept of God, that not only did God come to rescue me, but he loves me unconditionally, despite me, and he makes me perfect based on his life, not my life. Now my mom saw this change in me. When I became a Christian, she's like, oh, you are different. I'm like, I know, it's this Jesus guy. He's like changed me and stuff. And she's like, wow, he must be really strong to, to make you this different person I see. I'm like, well, he is, Mom. I'm learning more about him every semester, and I'm getting more and more excited about my faith. And so she would kind of look at my life. And so years, in four years, I graduated. I got rejected by a bunch of medical schools, another story. Um, but I came home dejected. And I'm like, I'm just going to substitute teach, make some money, travel Europe, and figure out what's next. But while I was home, my mom said, I'd really like to learn more about this Jesus, because he's done so much in your life. I'm like, yeah, I learned how to do this John study, so let's look at the book of John and study the life of Jesus. 
So we did, in four months in, my mom, 60 years of Buddhist, very devout. She's like, I think I finally see a difference between Jesus or Christianity and Buddhism. She's like, my whole life, I've tried to live this good life to make God happy. And if I understand Christianity right, I can't make God happy because I'm a sinner. So the only way I get to heaven is because of Jesus. It's like I do good things because I love Jesus, not because I'm trying to make Jesus happy. So the only difference is Jesus. I'm like, yeah, exactly, Mom. That's the difference between Jesus and everything else I've looked at. You're not doing stuff to make God happy. You do stuff because you already know God. He's changed your life. And so my mom became a Christian shortly thereafter for these two reasons. So this is a good season. We've got an identification with man. We've got a fulfillment of prophecy. We've got an identification from God himself speaking down to Jesus. But look how things change so quickly. It says the spirit, verse 12, immediately drove him out into the wilderness. So it goes from a good season. The first immediately you see is immediately Jesus starts his ministry. And that's a good thing. But then it says immediately the Holy Spirit led him into the desert. Which, if you know the story, wasn't a good thing at all, in a sense. It was a hard thing. He didn't eat anything for 40 days. He didn't drink anything for 40 days and 40 nights. He was tempted by the devil relentlessly throughout the, throughout the time on earth. And I think the hardest thing about seasons like this is that it says the Holy Spirit led him into it. It's really hard when God puts you in circumstances that you know, believe in God, that he could get you out of. But he chooses not to do it. I have a friend right now. I've been texting him. He was renewing his visa. He's from India, works in New York City, and he's been detained in Canada for a month because they won't approve his visa. He's staring at a a different Airbnb every couple of days, probably going to lose his job. And a friend encouraged him, like, that is hard, Neil. This is a hard season because you know that God could give you favor in the eyes of, of the immigration department, and he's not for this season. And it's hard to understand why, I'm just, but God knows. So I'm praying for you. Hang in there. I remember years ago, I lived in Paris. I was modeling, and I had booked this, this dream job. It was a Gillette um, commercial. And basically, it was I was going to go to the Bahamas and dance in a bathing suit you know, for three days you know, in the sun. And get, it was like $35,000 to get paid. So... I booked it. I had first class tickets to the Bahamas, like in my hand. My agency gave me. I was looking up like, well, I've never phoned first class in my life, much less to the Bahamas, much less on a job that's going to pay me 35 grand for dancing in my bathing suit. So this is like a win in all fronts. And I remember like two days before I was supposed to fly out, my agency said, oh, you're not going to believe this, Michael. They've canceled you. They changed their mind. They want to use all women and no men. And I'm like, oh, no, you're kidding me. I was like, I was so bummed. And I remember just that, that, it was such a dark day, you know, I had to go back and hand that ticket back to them and just walk out. And I remember thinking, God, I have no idea why you would cancel this. This makes no sense to me. So I'm like, I know, maybe on the day that it's supposed to, fl- I'm supposed to fly out, maybe I'm supposed to do something really like significant. So maybe I'm supposed to save someone's life. So I walked along the Seine Canal, no one drowned that day. So I'm like, all right, so maybe that wasn't it. I'm like, all right, I swear, I was like, Maybe I'm supposed to share the, share the gospel with someone today. I'm supposed to share my faith with somebody. So I thought, who is the most 
who is like the, the, the biggest atheist I know in my agency? I'm like, oh, Simon. All right, I'm going to have lunch with Simon. So I sat with Simon. I'm going to have a great conversation. I think I drove him further away from God in that conversation, not closer. I'm like, all right, well, that wasn't it. And I remember just that night, I'm like, well, God, I have no idea why this thing failed. But I know you love me because you died on the cross. I know you're sovereign and know what I, you see what I don't see. But this is hard because this makes no sense to me. And that's a fickle thing. It could be something more, much more major than that. It could be your, your kids walking away from the Lord. You, it could be you losing your job, losing a loved one. All kinds of things will happen in your life. And you've got to wrestle with the challenge of, well, well, I know God can fix this, but for some reason, he's not. And generally, suffering is one of those things that, that most people who don't believe in God use to justify that position. Ironically, ancient people never linked suffering to a disbelief in God. They said, well, we suffer because we're in a broken, it's, it's a fallen world. We suffer, and, and God works through suffering, so this has nothing to do with the existence of God at all. This is just life. But I think in our culture, because we can be pretty individualistic, pretty self-focused, if anything ruffles our feathers, we immediately get mad at God and assume that he's doing something with, with, with ill intent, when quite often he's not. He's just doing something we don't understand. But nonetheless, this is a hard season because Jesus is driven into the wilderness by God, and perhaps you're in a hard season now. Hold on, we'll, we'll get to the encouragement soon. It's a hard season also because of natural circumstances. It talks about the desert. It talks about wild animals. It talks about hunger. It talks about thirst. There's one thing the Bible says clearly. It says we are in a fallen world. That's why there's this hope of restoration in the future. But in this fallen world, there's going to be bad stuff that happens. There's going to be the flu. There's going to be job loss. There's going to be brokenness in marriage, brokenness in all kinds of relationships. It's just a product of being in this world, in a natural sense. So there's lots of challenging natural circumstances in this hard season. But then it gets worse than that. There's also some challenging spiritual circumstances. It says he was tempted by the devil. <clears throat> there was a movie called The Usual Suspects. Uh, it was like 15 years old. A really good movie. I think I often say movies are really good and they're really, I forget how like much bad stuff is in them. I did it with a youth group all the time. I'm like, oh, I should have never said that was a good movie. No, I take that. Don't go see that. I think that was, it was a good movie. I'm pretty sure. But um, there was a line in it where Kevin Spacey says, the greatest lie that the devil, the devil ever told uh, was that he didn't exist. And I think that's true. I think it's easy to have two concepts of, G, uh, of the devil. One is you think about him like, not at all. He's just not on your radar. It's, it's just ridiculous, supernatural folklore. Or you think about him too much, where every bad thing that comes your way is the devil. And I've seen both cases. Um, the Bible says he's real. He likens the Satan to a roaring lion, a thief, a liar, murderer, destroyer, accuser, adversary, an angel of light, uh, something that's sinister but beautiful. Uh, that song by the police in the 80s, you know, every breath you take, every move you make, this is beautiful. It sounds like it's a love song. Sting actually wrote that about the devil, ironically. He said, I wrote this about something sinister, something that's studying you your entire life looking for a way to bring you down. He's like, it's ironic that it was a, people think it's about a, a lover, a boyfriend, a girlfriend. He's like, it's about Satan. So I ruined that song for you. I apologize. <laughs> but nonetheless... Jesus is in a hard circumstance here. 
And I think we have the same opponent if you believe the Scriptures. You will have natural circumstances. You will have spiritual circumstances. You will have things that you don't understand. But how do we get through that? And then finally, I think it's interesting, it says John the Baptist was put in jail. In other other passages of Scripture, it says John the Baptist, who Jesus called basically the greatest man who ever lived. He said, none born of women are greater than John the Baptist. And yet even John the Baptist, despite that title, he doubted Jesus. He's, he's in jail. He's like, I don't know if this is the Messiah anymore because I'm stuck in jail. He ends up getting his head cut off. So if you look at his life, it doesn't seem to make much sense. Yet Jesus said he's the man, greatest man who ever lived is the implication. And yet this great man, he doubted God. He didn't believe. He's like, is Jesus really the Messiah? He sent his disciples, go find out. And Jesus said, yeah, go back and tell John, look at, look at all that I'm doing. Tell him that I am the Messiah. So if John the Baptist doubts, then of course we're going to doubt. So what do we do in these hard seasons? When we doubt God, when we've got spiritual attack, we've got natural attack coming our way, opposition, how do we get through these seasons? And that brings me to my final point or section. Notice it says, it says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is why we can get through those seasons. One is because Jesus always talked about the kingdom of God. Over 70 times in scripture, he talks about the kingdom of God. He started, we're in this phase, the big $10 word is called inaugurated eschatology. The simplified version is the already, not yet. Already because Jesus started this kingdom movement. He formed the church. Not yet because he's coming back and we're waiting for that day. I used to work with this pastor. He has a large church in Oregon, about 8,000 people. And I had this stint in Southern California where I worked with him. And he, had this, he, he was this really gifted, humble preacher, but had a hard life. His, wife had, his first wife had died in a car accident. And then three years later, his oldest daughter died in a car accident as well. And so he'd been through a lot of hard times. And, anytime, and he, was a, he was a little cheesy too, but like a good kind of cheesy because he was older and he could get away with it. But I would ask him, like, John, I'm like, how's it going, man? Just a random question. How you doing today? And he'd always preface it with this. He's like, well, he had this, he was this big, burly, like, brawny, paper towel looking guy. Uh, he'd be like, well, Michael, I'm going to heaven. And then he'd tell me about his day. And he prefaced everything with this idea that, you know, one day, my sorrows, my pain, it's ending. It's fixed. I'm going to heaven. Jesus is coming back. That is the great hope of Christianity. No matter how bad things get, no matter how hard season that, is, that that season is, it ends one day. Revelation. Skip ahead. Read it. It says the former things have passed away. There will be more, no more tears, no more crying, all over. That is why I've gotten to do ten weddings and a couple funerals. And I've done funerals for believers and non-believers alike. And the tone is just so different when you have the hope of heaven. You're sad because you miss the person, but there is this resounding hope of the future because you know you'll see them again. If you don't have that hope, the whole dynamic is just different. It's hopeless because it's done. All you have is a memory. So one beautiful thing 
when it comes to hard seasons is you know that it's going to end and that applies to both parties. Whether you know the Lord or not, I encourage you both, both camps if you're here. The beautiful thing about Christianity is not just that you are rescued by a God who loves you. This God, the Bible says, is preparing a place for you. This hope, and that idea resonates with you. I don't care what your belief system is. People usually long for something better. The reason you go on vacation is because your normal life, it kind of sucks a little bit, and you want it to be better, so you go on vacation, right? The reason you look forward to retirement is because you're like, working, I like it, but one day I can't wait till it ends. We like to escape because this life isn't what we were meant for. That's why every religion has some concept of utopia, Christianity has this beautiful picture of a kingdom that started, that's going to be fulfilled one day. Challenging circumstances do two more things, and I want to end with this. If you're not a believer, if you're still processing God, challenging circumstances, hard seasons, if you will, they often open your eyes up to things you just didn't look at before. I think it's significant that it says in the text that the angels were ministering to him. This is the only time I can think of where Jesus might have asked angels to come down to help him in this difficult period. In different texts, in the future, um, there's a situation where Jesus is being arrested and Peter pulls out a sword, that's one of the disciples, and he chops off this guy named Malchus's ear because he's trying to protect Jesus. And Jesus kind of supernaturally sticks the guy's ear back on and he's like, Peter... I could summon 12 legions of angels if I wanted to. Like, I don't need your help. In a second, I can call down angels to help me. But he didn't. And yet here, somehow, he did. And so I think the circumstances were so bad that either God the Father or Jesus was like, "Eh, like, Dad, I need some backup. I need some angels. And and they came down. to, to They swooped in to minister. I don't know the story. We don't know. But all I know is something spiritual happened Something supernatural happened and pierced the normal circumstances of life to comfort Jesus in this challenging time. I think circumstances that are challenging sometimes open your eyes to God in ways you just wouldn't have seen, ways you wouldn't have looked at. You search search for things outside your normal realm of comfort. So if you're not a believer and God is allowing some challenging seasons to come your way, it might be because he wants to reveal himself to you. And the only way to get your attention is to allow this challenging thing to happen. Now, if you are a believer, God allows challenging circumstances to happen for different reasons. Uh, one is I really think they, they nothing refines your faith quite like a hard season. First Peter 1 through uh, 1.6 says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to the result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what Peter is saying is there's nothing, nothing in this world more precious, in a sense, than your faith, than your understanding of who God is. And often God will take you through challenging circumstances to refine that faith, to make sure it's pure. When I was in college, I mean, my parents gave me like 50 bucks a week to spend. So I could be like, oh, I know that verse. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And as I put that ATM 
card in and hit the little digits, out came money. But I really put my trust, it was really my parents. I mean, I, I could say I trusted in God. I knew the verse. But it was my parents giving me money. When I moved to Europe, things changed. When I was modeling, I lived in Milan, Italy for a while. Everything, every agency is mafia connected. It means they take 50% of every, every paycheck you make, they get half. You just don't, it's just the way it is. And so when I'm living in this super expensive city, that verse became very real to me, because this is 20 years ago. The ATM card didn't work. It was an American card not working in Europe. And I really had to live that verse and watch God provide for me in new ways. My faith was very much tested and challenged and refined. So when I can tell you that God is faithful to provide, it's not in the context of my parents giving me money, so to speak. It's I've been through it now. I've been forced to see God do things. My oldest son, he grew up, he had infant airways disease, so he would often have croup and things like that, and, and he, his uh, respiratory system was just very weak. And so we had to take him to the ER so many times, because um, it seemed like he, he, he couldn't breathe. And so we had to get what was called a nebulizer. Maybe you have kids, you, you know what this is. And there was this, this, chemo, this um, over-the-counter drug called albuterol. I think it's over the counter now. And you put that in the nebulizer and then you squirt it and it opens it, it vasodilates. It opens up your, your respiratory system. That's the term. Uh, and so I would pray for him, but I'm like, ooh, thank God for abuterol and the nebulizer. And I just, you know, he'd inhale it and he could breathe. My, my father had the same disease and, uh, but they didn't have, you know, nebulizers during the Great Depression. <laughs> so my grandmother, who's a Christian, She's like, I would just take him out in the, in the warm Florida air. I was so worried because it looked like he couldn't breathe. And I just would pray. So she kind of had moist air and prayer. And that's it. And, and my dad survived. That's why I'm here. But that would talk about her faith. When she tells me these stories of provision, these stories of hard circumstances, and God delivering him through everyone, there was weight to her faith. So sometimes as a Christian, as a believer, God will take you through challenging seasons to refine your faith so that it's stronger. James 1, 2, and 3 says, Count it all joy, my brother, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So it doesn't just refine your faith. It makes your faith strong. Finally, 1 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4. So those are things that strengthen your faith. Hard circumstances also help you to share your faith. 1 Corinthians 1, 3-4 through 4 says, Blessed be God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies and of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with a comfort which we, we ourselves have been comforted by God. So they're saying God will take you through hard seasons so He can get you through hard seasons so that you can connect and minister to a world that is going through hard seasons. That pastor I told you about, he has this interesting story. He was on a plane sitting next to this woman, and the woman was just crying next to her. And as a, if you're, I mean, any nice person, but especially if you're a pastor, you've got a person crying next to you, you usually ask, hey, what's going on? How can I help you? And he did, and she started to tell him, she's like, you know, I'm not going to tell you because you won't understand he said, well, just try me. I'm a pastor. Maybe, maybe I will. You know, I get paid to kind of try to understand people. And she's like, well, um, I just met a man who I was in love with. Uh, he was my first boyfriend. Uh, we dated for uh, a year. And we were supposed to get married next week. And he died in a car accident just recently. 
and I'm flying now to bury him. And he said, you know, it's funny, I would understand that because I've lost my first wife and my daughter in a car accident. And he said the ministry that took place was at such a heightened level because he's not talking about something in theory. He's talking about a trial, a hard season that he walked through twice. And that lady became a Christian before the plane landed because she was so blown away at the circumstances that were, you know, that, that God had ordained for him to sit by her of all things. The wrapping up, final point. Those are the whys, the how. You know, how do I get through hard seasons? And this applies to everyone where you're at. That prophecy I mentioned is, is, is quite beautiful. I remember I said that when Isaiah, years before, he, he, he cried out, if only God would rend the heavens and come down. And when the Holy Spirit, that dove came down upon Jesus, it was a fulfillment of that prophecy. There's one little tweak. 700 years prior to that, Isaiah's writing, uh, when the nation of Israel is in bondage, they're in captivity, they've been crushed by the Assyrians, crushed by the Babylonians. He's writing from a place of exile, and he says, if only you'd come down and make the mountains tremble. He says that twice. And he's basically he's crying for judgment and vindication on his enemy. I want you to rend the heavens, come down, make the mountain tremble. Make the world tremble and free us, crush our adversaries, God. And yet, in the New Testament, when God does come down, he doesn't come down as something scary. He doesn't come down as a judge ready to destroy. He comes down as a dove. And any Israelite, the last time they heard reference to a dove, they would have to go back in time to the flood, to where Noah's ark, landed, prior to landing on Mount Ararat, Noah had to send out birds to find out whether the, the, the water had subsided. Remember, the, the flood was judgment. The first time he sent it a raven, it never came back. The second time he sent it a dove, and the dove came back with an olive branch in his mouth, which is why it's a symbol of peace. So that dove symbolized peace, restoration, and the end of judgment. What a beautiful picture. When God fulfills the prophecy, it's not what Isaiah wanted. It wasn't judgment. It wasn't fear and trembling. It was peace, restoration, and love. That's the gospel. That's the hope we have. No matter what the circumstances are and how hard they are, you've got a God who loves you, who's for you, who's working out things that you can't see for your benefit. That's how we get through hard seasons. We focus on that God who went through a hard season himself on the cross to bring us all these things, to bring us this kingdom that we get to enjoy together forever. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for good seasons that we can enjoy and hard seasons that we can also enjoy knowing that you're doing them for a purpose. You're working them out, God, to refine our faith. You're working them out so that we might find you, see you, see what you're doing in our lives. You're working out restoration, God. And I pray for anyone in this room who's going through a hard season who might not see that, God. I pray they'd see you in new ways, God. I pray they'd hear you in a new way, God. I pray they'd feel your presence in a new way. And if they don't know you, God, I pray they'd discover you for the first time also, God. I just ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen.